When I was in high school, I took a pottery class. Yeah, that's right. But it wasn't because I was creative necessarily. I was just trying to avoid other classes. Know what I mean? And uh, we had this one particular project uh, where we were making uh, we were making mugs or some kind of drinkware. And um, I thought it would be funny uh, to make my parents a set of matching mugs uh, with uh, glasses, nose, and a mustache, right? See, I was making them funny glasses, like those funny glasses. And uh, when we got it out of that big hot thing, uh, the final product uh, revealed my complete lack of artistic talent. The nose was so huge. How huge was it? The nose was so big, it could have been used as a handle or a weapon or an emergency oar in a canoe. That's how big it was. It, I think about it now, and I'm like, that was awful. And my parents were so sweet. I don't recall what happened to the big nose with the mug attached to it. If I had to guess, they were probably accidentally dropped, oh, oops, or uh, used as, uh, you know, my mom when she took that skeet shooting class at the community college. Uh, maybe my parents donated them to, uh, to uh, some kind of charity, and, and now somewhere in the world, some indigenous tribe is today worshiping the god of the big nose. When you think about flattering facial features, uh, I'm not sure anyone thinks that having a really, really big nose is a plus. But what if I told you this morning that not only does God have a really, really big nose, it's one of his most flattering features. Don't believe me? Well, let's dig into our text this morning of Exodus 34 and learn more about the big nose of God. So Exodus 34 is probably one of the most important sections of Scripture because in this section of Scripture, we're learning from the very words of God who God is. Verses 6 and 7 contain God's description of himself. And they are known as the 13 attributes of mercy. We've been working through one attribute each week along with a reason in general why we should study the attributes of God. And so in this pivotal moment, God comes before Moses and says, let me tell you who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God. And today we're going to look at that one quality, slow to anger. From verse 6, again, we read, if you have your Bibles with you, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Today we're going to look at slow to anger. We're going to look at what this means in the text as Moses would have first heard it. We're going to look at how we should respond to this particular attribute, and then we're going to wrap up by seeing where this is true even in our world today. We're going to look at what this means, what our response is, and how we see it even today. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we ask you to awaken our heart and expand our mind and shape our identity. Through Jesus, our Savior, 
and your Holy Spirit, our teacher, we pray. Amen. Now let's talk about what slow to anger means in the text. If you thought the Hebrew word for merciful was interesting, and it was, wait till you hear what the Hebrew phrase slow to anger literally means. You see, we read in our translations that God is slow to anger, but that's an idiomatic expression. Uh, the actual Hebrew phrase is translated in English as being patient or being slow to anger. So far, so good. But here's where it takes an interesting turn. The literal words in the Hebrew mean long of nose. That's what the words mean. The Hebrew literally reads long of nose. And it's conceived of and, and back then, as a person who has a really long nose. Now, when I first read that, I thought, come on, son. Seriously? I mean, someone has hacked into my Bible software and is messing with me. Long of nose? I mean, forget about WikiLeaks or MailGate, you know, right? This is Logos Leaks or Bible Software Gate. Slow to anger is conceived of as having a long nose by who, right? When? On what planet? I mean, it's suddenly we're in a Star Wars bar scene looking for Han Solo at a table in the back of the room, or we've enrolled ourselves in some magical creatures class at Hogwarts, or Jack Hanna is out in the middle of the Serengeti describing the magnificent and beautiful creature with the extremely long nose. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. We could talk about the wrath of God, and, and I have a very clever message title for that. We could call it the long arm of the law, right? But if today when I'm talking about the patience of God, could I really get away with describing the message title as the long nose of love? Right? You'd be like, what in the world is the matter with him? <laughs> well, yeah, make a list. And here's where it gets really interesting. My Bible software suggested for me to understand that God was long of nose. It suggested I consult the book of Ezekiel about an eagle with long pinions. Yeah, that clears it up, right? Anytime Ezekiel is listed as an explanation of something, you know that you're in way over your head already. So here I was, trying to get ready for today's message, and I had two odd metaphors to describe God. He has a long nose, he is an eagle with long pinions. Who says the Bible is hard to understand? So I did a little digging, I did a little research, and it didn't take me long to figure out what the eagle with long pinions metaphor meant. That was actually helpful. A pinion is part of a bird's wing, including the flight feathers. And there's a ton of Bible references about seeking refuge under the pinions or the wings of God. We actually just sang a song about that as well. And I, I, I come to understand that there are quite a few pinion hymns, which Preston has been working on to teach the youth group in the next few weeks. But the metaphor of a long nose eluded me. 
I could not figure out what in the world is that metaphor trying to explain. This was so far out of my knowledge base, I had to phone not just one friend, I had to phone a few friends. And so I started calling people that I trust that say, hey, I'm stuck here, I have no idea what this means. And I got a lot of, boy, I don't know what that means either. And, And I had a lot of conversations with people just trying to figure it out and try to sort it out. And then I got an email from Myron, who I had already called. And Myron's email, four words and a video link, which is pretty standard with Myron. Myron sends out a lot of emails, four words and a video link. Here were the four words. Guess what came today? And the video link, see, Myron's on a weekly email distribution list for the Bible Project. And he had just received an email. This was on Tuesday. He had just received an email from the Bible Project explaining the long nose of God. And my friend Danny Mann, who seems to be on this same mailing list, a few minutes later emailed me with the same video link. Dude, check this out. So immediately I thought, man, i got to get on that mailing list i got to figure this out. So I just want to pause right here, and I want to mention a really powerful way in which the Spirit of God moves and works. As a teacher, I'm always trusting the Spirit of God to teach me. And I'm trusting the Spirit to guide me in planning, to guide me in preparing, and to guide me in presenting messages as well. So on the very day that I'm studying and I'm stuck, trying to figure out what the long nose of God means, Myron gets an email, and Danny gets an email, and they both reach out to me and say, you got to watch this video. I think that's great. I mean, I think that's keen. I think that's wonderful, right, that God works that way, and that, that it's such a marvelous way in which he is faithful when we're studying and when we're in relationships with other people to talk about the deeper things of God. The video is so good. Let's watch it. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way, compassionate and gracious slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this third phrase, that God is slow to anger. Now, that might surprise some people. Isn't the God of the Bible mostly angry, striking people down for their sins? Well, it turns out that God's anger in the Bible is way more nuanced than that, and way more interesting. In Hebrew, the phrase slow to anger is pronounced erek apayim, or literally, long of nose. But what does God's patience have to do with a long nose? Well, first, we need to look at the common biblical Hebrew way to say that someone is angry. Their nose burned hot. Like in the story of Joseph, when Potiphar thinks that Joseph tried to sleep with his wife, his nose burned hot. It's usually translated, his anger burned. It's describing how your body, especially your face, gets hot when you're filled with anger. And so in Hebrew, the main words for anger are either nose or heat, or hot nose. 
This is why a patient person is called long of nose. It takes a long time for their nose to get hot. Like in the biblical proverb, a person's wisdom is their long nose, that is, their slow anger. Now, in the Bible, God gets angry numerous times, but God doesn't have a nose or get hot. These are metaphors using our experience of hot anger to describe how God feels when he witnesses human evil. Just like you would get angry if you saw a child being bullied on the playground, so God gets angry when humans oppress each other and ruin his world. In the Bible, God's anger is an expression of his justice and his love for the world. But he's slow to anger, which means he gives people lots of time to change. Like in the story of the Exodus, when Pharaoh enslaves the Israelites and has their baby boys thrown into the waters, God sends Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's given 10 chances to let Israel go free. But after the 10th refusal, Pharaoh rides out with his chariots to destroy the Israelites. And so God destroys him in the waters. Pharaoh's own evil is turned back upon him. And we read that this is an act of God's hot anger. Now, that's really intense, but think about it. God wouldn't be good if he didn't get angry at Pharaoh's evil and eventually do something about it. And notice that God's anger is expressed by handing Pharaoh over to the consequences of his own decisions. And this is actually how God's anger is shown throughout the scriptures, like in the story of the Israelites. Over and over again, for hundreds of years, they betray the God who rescued them from slavery. And though he gives them many chances to turn around, they keep giving their allegiance to the gods of other nations. And each time we read that the hot anger of God burned against the Israelites. But notice what always follows. God gave them over into the hands of their enemies. Israel wanted to serve the gods of other nations. And so God, in his just anger, gives them what they want as those nations circle back and defeat Israel. This is similar to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans. He says, God's anger is being revealed against human evil. And then three times he says what that looks like. God hands people over to their destructive desires and decisions, even if it leads to death. But Paul also says, God is patient, giving people time to come to their senses and change. Because remember, God's anger is a response to human evil. And it's based on a deeper character trait, his compassion and his loyal love. God is not content to let people sit in their own self-destruction. In the Bible, God's on a mission to rescue. This is why Jesus said that he was going to Jerusalem to die as a demonstration of God's love for his enemies. He would stand in the place of his people who were choosing self-destruction and take the consequences of their decisions upon himself. In Jesus's life, death and resurrection, we see God's anger at evil and his love for people working together to provide forgiveness and life for a humanity lost in self-ruin. So God's anger in the Bible is really important, but it's not the end of the story. When God is angry and brings justice, it's because he's good. And he's extremely patient, working out his plan to restore people to his love. And that's what it means to say that God is slow Well, that's fantastic. And I'm like, how come my Bible software didn't point me to any of those references? So uh, I think it's time to upgrade the software. Let's talk about slow to anger now as our response, okay? 
when we talk about what slow to anger means to us, when we talk about our response, I think it involves at least two things. First, you have to decide if God is telling the truth. You have to decide if God is telling the truth. When God says that he is slow to anger, the first thing you have to decide, is he trustworthy? Is he telling the truth? I know that this sounds odd, uh, but God does not have a long nose for the same way that Pinocchio has a long nose. And it's important for us to have an ultimate source of truth. Especially today in our modern culture with such diverging ideas about truth. For example, example, our culture will say on the one hand, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And if you think about it, this is just simply a way to allow someone to do whatever they want, to live however they want, without any constraint. And so our culture says that on one hand, but then on the other hand, our culture turns around and says, well, truth is either irrelevant or unnecessary or fabricated. If you think about it, they're both saying the same thing. Because even if you take that view that truth is irrelevant, unnecessary, or fabricated, it serves the exact same purpose, to do whatever you want, whenever you want, without any accountability of any kind. So if you believe that God is telling the truth when he says that he's a merciful God, when he says that he is a compassionate God, you must accept the truth that, that he's telling the truth when he says he is slow to anger. You see? You have to have some source of truth in your life or you will be rudderless. You, you will, as the Bible describes, just go back and forth which, whichever way the wind blows, whichever way the wave takes you. And so if you don't believe that God is telling the truth when he says that he is slow to anger, then it also means that he's not gracious. It also means that he's not merciful. It also means that he is not good. You can't just say God is telling the truth here, but he's not telling the truth here. The Bible teaches us that with God, all things are possible except for one thing. Does anyone know what it is? The Bible tells us that God does not lie, that God never lies, that God cannot lie. But not only this, think about it. The Bible says that it's impossible for God to lie. It's part of his unchangeable character. It's why we flee to him for refuge under the shadow of his pinions. It's why we have encouragement in times of trouble. It's why we have hope in times of disruption. See, we lie to ourselves, we lie to others, we try to lie to God. Even George Washington lied when he said, I cannot tell a lie. But God does not lie when he says he is slow to anger. So the first thing for us, our first response is we have to decide. Each one of us, we have to decide. I can't tell you. You have to decide if he's telling the truth. And then second, we have to work out the practical implications of what being slow to anger means. Yes, in terms of our relationship with God and his relationship with us, but then also in terms of our relationship with others. 
Beth asked me this week, would you consider yourself a person who is slow to anger? Of course I am. Why would you even ask such a thing? I'm so offended, is what I wanted to say, but it seemed like it was a serious moment. I thought to myself when she asked me the question, wow, that is so sweet of you. Right? Because we've been together for so long, and you know me so well, you probably know better than I do. And as I processed all of that, my actual response with this was this. Well, I would consider myself a person medium to anger. Medium to anger. But see, here's the thing. I want to be slow to anger. I want to live in the truth of how 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. The very first description of love, do you know what it is? Love is patient. That's my heart desire. I want to be patient. And and you, you read further into this description of love and why is it that we are forgetting these descriptions of love. This of all times. Is not easily angered. Some of you are naturally patient. I mean, some of you, you're just, you're just that way. You're just naturally slow to anger. Slow to anger and, and it drives the rest of us crazy right? I mean, it just makes us so mad, but you're so patient and so slow to anger. And you know, we can look at others who we see as patient, and we can look at others whom we deem to be slow to patient, and, and yes, we can learn something from them. But here's the thing. If I want to make a change to my nose, I have to visit a surgeon or take up boxing either one. And if I want to make a change to my disposition, to my heart, I have to submit myself to the care of the great physician. This is a work that God has to do in my life. And and unfortunately, this is a work that God does through trial and through trust. So the question, how do I become a patient person? How do I become slow to anger? Is like the person who prayed, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. We struggle. I struggle. Some of us struggle in this area. And more than anything, it's a struggle because it's a long and slow and often painful process. And our culture today struggles with something which can't be solved overnight, which can't be solved with a pill or can't be solved with a lawsuit. So, as a teacher, I want to lead you to discover answers on your own. Especially in an area such as this. I want you to hear me say that I can't do the hard work for you. And you really can't do the hard work for you. 
So I want to try to give you the boat. I want to try to give you the oars. I want to try to point you in the right direction. But ultimately, you have to row the boat. Better yet, if you would unfurl the sails and let the wind of God's Spirit lead you and guide you. I'd like to invite you to find someone this week. Someone that you love and someone that you trust. And engage in a conversation with them about your lives. About your capacity for patience. Whether or not you're easily angered. And ask this question one to another. When you think of me, do you think love is patient? And, and what do you see that makes you think this? What do you see that makes you doubt this? That's a hard conversation to have. But you're never going to have forward movement in an area such as this unless you're engaging in conversation with someone you love and trust who can speak words of love and truth to you. So I do want to give you some, well, let's call them provisions. I want to give you some just basic principles right quick that might help you, not only in this kind of conversation, but as you seek to engage in the lives of others. Don't be easily offended. Don't be easily offended. Don't be afraid of the disaster of others. Don't be afraid to engage in hard difficult conversations with other people be willing to engage in other people's lives be willing to engage in the lives of people that you love engage them with truth and engage them with love and gentleness but probably more important be willing to receive truth from others and receive it with grace and receive it with love Dig deep into the truth of the gospel and cultivate a heart of forgiveness. It's so difficult, I understand. It's so difficult because this work of spiritual formation, it's the work of God. It's not our work. You see, we can resist the work. We can say, God, I'm going to stay this way and I'm going to ride this pony till it drops. Or you can open your heart to the work of God. See, You have to allow the truth of the gospel to clear the rocks out of your heart so that God can do the hard work in your life. Now what do I mean by that? Timothy Keller in his book, Shaped by the Gospel, says there is a difference between a religious person and a gospel-shaped person. And the book is a, a marvelous uh, way in which it's outlined in so many areas, but there's one small section that I found so helpful for us today. A religious person is going to struggle with anger because of the faulty programming of religion. Think about it. A religious person is going to struggle with anger because of the faulty programming of religion. Here's what he says. When circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God 
or I'm angry at myself since I believe, like Job's friends in the Bible, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. So I get mad. I get angry. And that's what a religious person does. This whole idea that because I go to church, that because I pray, because I do all these things, that God owes me a comfortable life. You ever wonder why there's so many angry religious people in our world today? I mean, I, I was thinking through that and I thought, well, ever wonder why I'm so angry all the time? It's because I'm letting religion lead and I'm not letting the gospel bear on my heart. See, if you're angry all the time, if you're struggling with anger and you're a Christian, it's because the gospel has not taken root in your heart. The gospel is not bearing on your heart. So here's the difference between a religious person and a gospel person. A gospel-shaped person, when circumstances in your life go wrong, you struggle. It's true. It's going to happen. Yes, you struggle. But here's the difference. I know that all my punishment fell on Jesus. And that while he may allow this time of trial and testing for my training, he will always exercise his fatherly love for me in the midst of the trial. That's the difference between a religious person and a gospel person. But there's more to it. Remember when I said one of the best things you could do was to receive criticism, to receive truth with grace, with mercy? If a religious person is criticized, they're furious. They're devastated. You know why? Because for a religious person, it's essential for them to think of themselves as a good person. And it's essential for others to think of them as a good person. And so any threats to this particular self-image has to be destroyed at all cost. So when we lash out, when we strike out in anger, most of the time it has to do with letting this religious identity lead and speak as to who we are. <laughs> There's a better way. It's hard. It's difficult. I mean, it still sucks a lot of the time to, 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 to hear hard things. It's still difficult to hear criticism. It's still difficult when someone you love looks right into your eyes and says to you, you need to change. But when the gospel is bearing on your heart, when you're criticized, you struggle, yes, but you understand it's not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record. My identity is not built on my performance. My identity is built on God's love for me in Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> I'll tell you, here's a, hard, here's a hard group of words I'm about to say. You ready? It's like Fonzie trying to say that he was, you know, you know. You ready? Do some of you even know who Fonzie is? Uh, parents explain that later. Hey. Here it is. I'm delaying. 
because it's so hard. In Christ, I can take criticism. In Christ, I can take criticism. Now, don't make the mistake of hearing me just giving you permission to go out and be critical. Hear me giving yourself permission to hear words of truth and love. So we need to work out the practical implications of being slow to anger. Now, let's finish quickly here with how we see this particular attribute of God being slow to anger, how we see it right now, right this very minute. I want you to understand that God is telling the truth about him being patient, about being slow to anger. God is telling the truth about the promised return of Jesus Christ someday. God is telling the truth about there will be a day of judgment where the living and the dead will be judged in righteousness. God is telling the truth about that. But you also need to hear that God is not out to get you. God is out to save you. He's sticking his big nose into your big problems for your ultimate good. That's what he's up to. And so we see him as slow to anger. We see the patience of God being exercised right now in the form of time. Time. The promises of God regarding the return of Jesus and the day of judgment, they're true, but they're on hold. They're on hold. The apostle Peter, uh, who himself was a short fuse, transformed by the power of God into a patient person slow to anger. From his words in 2 Peter 3, we learn the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but listen, is patient toward you, is slow to anger toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See? Most of us are breathing right now, which is a good thing. We are breathing today because God is patient. We are taking breaths today because God is slow to anger. He is patiently giving others an opportunity to say yes to him through Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is a fixed day of judgment when the world will be judged in righteousness by Jesus Christ. You know what that means for those of us who have said yes to God through Jesus? That Jesus is not only our advocate, he is not only our defender, but he is our judge and our jury. How much better a situation could you face? In Christ, when we have said yes, there is no reason to fear this day of judgment. You know why? On the cross, Jesus became the appointed one to receive sin so we could receive righteousness. By his death, we find life. By his resurrection, we find assurance. The one who became sin for us gave us his righteousness. So, every moment we have from this day forward, every breath we take, from this day forward is a reminder that we serve a God with a big nose. 
a God who is slow to anger. Let's pray. Father, we know that you won't wait forever, but we are so grateful that you are waiting even now so that others will say yes to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do this good work in our hearts, that you would transform us into the likeness of your Son. Don't just save us, transform us. Make us useful. Make our lives so full of grace and love and patience that others would be drawn to you to say yes. Through Jesus we say, amen. Lori Deal. Yes, sir. Okay, here's a problem we're going to have. Mm-hmm. This is my life. You my got it. My feet are not going to touch the floor. <laughs> hey, it's not bad, though. My toes are Yeah. Good. I so wish I had good. that button, you know, that could raise the chairs like Johnny Carson used yeah. to do, you know. <laughs> Josh, could we get on that? <laughs> okay, all right. I could sit like this if you'd like. Okay, yes, that please. Makes, okay. Yeah, the whole time. Right. Do it. Sounds good. Wait, who's being punished? You're being punished because <laughs> I invited you on stage to talk. Uh, okay, don't take this the wrong way. When Great I was start. thinking slow to anger, you were the first person I thought of. I said, I want to talk about anger. I wonder if Lori <laughs> Deal would be interested in talking to me. So I mean that as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I mean it from the standpoint of the work that you have uh, done and do through CR. And I know that one of the things about CR is helping people. I mean, anger is a hurt. It's a habit. It's a hang-up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm interested in two things. Let's just start with the first. Okay. I'm interested, how do you help someone who's destroying themselves? A- and you can see it. Mm-hmm. H- how do you actually help somebody in that situation in this area of anger? Mm-hmm. I think... The, the more I thought about this, the more I kept thinking, you know, we were talking about a, a big thing right here, and I feel like we have to back up and reiterate what you were talking about earlier. I feel like it comes from the practice of being able to give loving correction okay. and to receive loving correction. Okay. Um, I was so afraid you were going to steal my quote earlier when you started talking because um, only God can do this perfectly right mm-hmm. and I think it's Keller I like say that he quoted mm-hmm. most things I just use his name yeah or it C.S. Lewis Preston crazy right right yeah. <laughs> um, but my favorite one of my favorite quotes is when God cuts he cuts like a surgeon not mm-hmm. like a thief yeah and so there's intention there's gentleness there's purpose and so practicing in our daily lives in our relationships in our community mm-hmm. being able to lovingly correct and also, more importantly, I think, receive that loving correction, yeah. that sets us up so that when a big issue like that, when mm-hmm. an addiction of some sort is a problem for someone, you've got that practice. You know how to approach that person and also know what it's like to be that person, mm-hmm. maybe on a smaller scale, but still. Um, so I feel like it's all that practice yeah. that leads up to those sometimes bigger, maybe life-threatening issues. 
I think a lot of people would be surprised to understand because of the physiological reaction with anger mm -hmm. that you can become addicted to being angry. Yes. Just because of the emotional response that you get, you know, that whole fear and flight thing. And so, you know, I just feel so much better, you know, right. afterwards. And it's like, yeah, but we don't. Right. Well, <laughs> and know? there's, you know, with, with most things, there's that initial, yeah. oh, that felt really good. Yeah, and then yeah. you see the repercussions yeah. and yeah. it doesn't feel so good anymore. Yeah, like eating the 12 donuts. You know, in one I don't sitting. get it. What are you talking about? That's, <laughs> yeah. Is that a problem? <laughs> no? Yeah. Let's talk about okay. real things. <laughs> you know, let's, let's not talk about that. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, mm -hmm. he has a chapter on forgiveness, and mm -hmm. he talks about hearing for the first time someone say, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. Mm -hmm. And, and he, his reaction to that was, he goes, at first I thought that was just the silliest thing I ever heard. How could you do that? Right. Until I realized, he's, these are his words, he said, I realized I was doing the exact same thing in my own life. Mm. That I was hating sin mm -hmm. while loving myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought if I could take that experience that I still, you know, and so what you said there made me wonder, why is it that there is such a struggle for us? You know, we're often quick to give criticism. Yeah. But we're really slow to take Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of thing. And, and, and what are your thoughts about that? I think, like you were saying earlier, it has a lot to do with, um, with your, uh, who you think you are. Mm -hmm. What is the word I want? Your identity. Yes. <laughs> um, and that constant reminder of, mm -hmm. of who God says I am, who God yes. makes me. Yeah. And I think you have to get to a place of um, spiritual maturity that when someone offers you a correction or mm -hmm. criticism, you're able to take that and just kind of hold it out here. You don't oh. immediately have to take it on yourself. Yeah. It's yeah. not truth just because they said it. Yes. So you can take that thing and say, okay, first of all, let me evaluate this relationship. Mm -hmm. Is this someone that I've lived life with? Does this person yeah. know me? Have I, yeah. Do I have a foundation of trust? Do I know this person's heart? Mm -hmm. Why they're telling me this, not necessarily just what they're telling me. Yeah. And if... And then pray about that. If this thing that they've said to me, is there some truth in that, Lord? Is there something mm -hmm. here that you need me to do? Um, then be able to take that. Um, but not just somebody said something to me. Oh, it must be truth. Yeah. I'm going to fall apart. All right. Then you're, yes. you're, you're back to yes. which everybody, you know, I'm, I'm living, now I'm living moment by moment by what people say to me. Right. You know, right. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. One more thing um, related to that. So I think people, and that's why I thought this video was so helpful. People are under the, God gets angry. He does. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for us to realize um, in, in the same way that, you know, why am I angry here? Mm -hmm. But I'm not angry about something that is harming somebody. You know, and so I'll, I'll, in my own life, I go, well, I'm angry about this. You know, my, my VCR doesn't work, you know, or my, right. I, I get angry at all this stuff, right? Right. But I'm not as worked up about someone who I love is destroying themselves, you know. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really trying to seek through this whole idea of what's the difference between anger that comes from selfishness mm -hmm. and anger that is from selflessness, you know, mm -hmm. how, how do I learn to distinguish that and, and really evaluate my own motives for trying to help somebody? Right. Yeah, I think that it's important when we're feeling angry 
um, to be able to say, why am I angry? Okay. Not just what do I do with this anger? Oh, good. Uh -huh. Because anger is a secondary emotion. Yes. And so something comes before it, and yeah. nine times out of ten, it's fear. Yeah. So then that turns into what am I afraid of, not what am I angry about? Oh, right. And so um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a book on my shelf that I haven't read yet, and it's, uh -huh. it says uh, anger is a choice. Man, it is, and I don't want I, it to be. I don't want to read that book. Yeah, <laughs> let's just put something else in. There's a picture. Here's a picture of Beth. Let's put that yeah, in front exactly, of Beth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I know yeah. that, um, that for me, yeah. that, was a hard, that was a hard thing to when somebody told me that. Why am I angry? Yeah. It's because I'm afraid. Hmm. Well, I don't want to deal with that. Right. Right. That leads right. into some other yucky things. Yeah. I don't want to talk about what I'm afraid of. Yes. Um, so it's, no, it's a hard, good. it's a hard place to yeah. be. Well, I appreciate you coming and talking with us. I know it can be scary, but good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move into a time of communion uh, with this next song. <laughs> 